Hello and welcome. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co-creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. And I'm Jen Gorecki, your co-host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is about taking the conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and bringing them to you to explore alternative narratives that challenge the status quo about what it means to be a modern woman in the outdoors. Grab your helmet because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, friends, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. Hey, everyone. Jen Gorecki, co-host of Juicy Bits, here with four very special guests today who are all recipients of the Indigenous Backcountry Scholarship. Now, if you are not familiar with the Indigenous Backcountry Scholarship, the link will be in the show notes. And you can head on over to the Coalition Snow website and check it out. But basically, this is something that we've done for two years in partnership with Denali and On the Land Media to select five exceptional human beings to receive $1,000 to further their access and education in snow sports and in the backcountry, and then a bunch of gear to make that happen, like Coalition Snow skis and a kit from True Gear and avalanche safety gear like a beacon from Ordovox. So this is the second year that we facilitated the scholarship. It's one of the things that I most look forward to every year, always incredible human beings. And today is a chance for you to get to meet all of them. On today's episode, we're going to talk about things like access to snow sports and access to the ski community, and then also how everybody got involved in snow sports. And then also who knows where the conversation will take us, because maybe this is the third time we've recorded the introduction because technology and my inability to record an intro. So no one knows what's going to happen. It's going to be good though. So before we get into it though, each person who's here with us today is going to introduce themselves. So I'm going to kick it off and ask Joelle to start us off and then everybody can kind of flow in after her. Sounds good. Hi everybody. My name is Joelle Johnston. I come from the Squamish Nation here in North Vancouver and I'm very excited to speak with you all tonight. Yeah, I'll go next. Hello, my name is Taylor Benabigay, and to acknowledge my relatives here joining in, Yat e Taylor Benabigay Nyanshia Ki Ani Nishle, Maudishkishni Bashishti, Na Kaidana e Deshache, Oze Tachitni Deshanela. Again, my name is Taylor Benabigay. I'm originally from the Navajo Nation on the New Mexico side. I'm currently based in Denver, Colorado. Yeah, I can go next. My name is Saskia Livingstone, and I'm a member of the Metis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Um, I was originally born in England, lived in Japan for a bit as a kid, but now I'm based in Calgary, Alberta in Canada. I'm also really excited to be here today. Thanks. And Stephanie? Yeah, um, I'm Stephanie and I am from the Klallam Nation in Vancouver uh, Island and the Washington State. And uh, my name is Nuno Arsteki. And I'm now living in Shinke country up in Alaska, and I just got my coalition 
snow skis and I'm so stoked. <laughs> so I'm happy to be here. Yay. I love hearing that. Okay. So I think that like a really great place to start this conversation is how did all of you get involved in snow sports? A lot of people talk about being, you know, raised at a very young age, getting out into the mountains. I'm somebody who kind of did it on my own and decided I wanted to do it when I was like 16. We all have these different stories, but they certainly shape who we are as adults. So how did you all get involved in snow sports? Yeah, I actually didn't grow up with access to snow sports. I grew up on the Olympic Peninsula and so in Washington State. And so we do have a really awesome national park that does have a little ski area with a rope toe. And I didn't know anyone ever who skied. I didn't know anyone who snowboarded. I was like, I've snowshoed before when it was required in class. Uh, and but I grew up like on the water in a commercial fishing family. And so everything was water oriented. And I was always looking at the mountains from the boat going, that looks so much fun. And I see these cool videos and ads and whoa, I don't know anyone who does this. I can't do it. And I finally got a chance to go up to Hurricane Ridge in, when I was in high school with the, with the school on a weekend. And I was like, whoa, this is really cool. They provided skis for us and we got to try. And most of the time, all of us just fell over and it was a hot mess. But it was like, whoa, maybe I can ski. And so from there, I actually just had to do it on my own. And pretty much everyone I told, like, I'm going to go skiing. They're like, you're just going to fall. Like, this is a crazy idea. Why would you even do that? Like, you've got to go all the way, you know, four or five hours away to do real skiing. Like, this is not a good area. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so that's how I got, that's how I got into skiing. And I was very terrible for a very long time. Um, but, because I was like, didn't get to have lessons or, or, or anything like that. And so it was kind of like, learn on your own and see how it goes. It's a little bit of a crazy adventure, but. I started snowboarding when I was probably about eight or nine with the First Nation snowboard team. And I'm very grateful for them for the opportunity to kind of learn. And I'm so grateful they kind of pushed us through different levels of snowboarding. Like um, I was put on a high performance team. We started doing some traveling with like coaches and we'd. I would do the snowboard cross races. My brother would do slope style and it really created this like community along kind of Squamish and like the Sea to Sky area. And then I got involved with the Indigenous Women Outdoors, who is very committed to getting women and women identifying folks into the backcountry. So I started doing that a couple of years ago and very grateful for both the programs and what they've gifted me with the ability to get out there and shred. So I'm happy for that. Joelle, for people who are not familiar with the First Nations team, can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. So Aaron Marchant started the First Nations snowboard team 20 years ago here in Vancouver, and then slowly started expanding it into kind of like the Kootenai region and out onto the island and up in Whistler. And kind of recently we had a restructure and so we've called it the Indigenous Life Sport Academy. 
and it's kind of like unstructured play. So we're teaching kids the tools and ability to kind of go out there whenever they feel like it and have that ability to snowboard or climb. You know, it's a, it's a really great program and I'm very grateful for it, like I said. Taylor, what, what about you? How did you get started in snow sports? Um, I feel like growing up, I always knew I wanted to be in snow sports, snowboarding specifically. However, I had another dream of playing collegiate sports. Both my sister and I, my sister had the opportunity to, and so I was like, oh, I want to do it as well. So our parents enrolled us pretty much in like club sports and everything at that time. And my dad, he had tore his ACL very early on in high school and everything. So And I went really, like, I think it was from football is what he was doing. So just from there, he was like, oh, I know how dangerous, like, snow sports can be and everything. And you guys have this dream of playing collegiate sports. Myself, it was for soccer. My sister was volleyball. And she's three years older than me. And seeing, like, her. So he, like, restricted us to those, like, not doing snow sports at all growing up. And I was always so devastated because I grew up in the Four Corners area of New Mexico. Yeah, it's a desert. But I can look out and see mountains, but I was always so jealous, like coming back from school from the weekends and some of my friends had like their snowboarding passes on their jackets still and everything. And I was like, man, when I get the chance, I'm going to go. But still like played college soccer down in Phoenix, went the opposite way of the mountains. (laughs) But when I was down in Phoenix, I knew I was kind of on the track of giving up sports, at least playing for college and everything. I started buying snowboarding gear because like, They sell it down in Phoenix, but it goes on sale very early on, (laughs) like in December. And I remember getting like pants and jackets and everything and ended up, yeah, a few years later, my mid-20s, like a friend uh, asked if I wanted to go snowboarding. And I was like, yes, I'll go. (laughs) And they were very surprised when I like, they let me borrow one of their boards and everything. And they're like, you have the whole, like you have everything but the board and boots. And they're like, "How, how is that possible? And I'm like, I've been dying to do this (laughs) and I was 25 at the time and then pretty much just fell in love with it since still trying to create a community here in Denver and everything but the resort life here in the area is totally different from my little mountain town back in Durango Colorado but yeah it's been introduced me to a great community so far and yeah I'm thankful for it. Saskia what what about you? Yeah I uh, didn't really get to do snow sports growing up. I was raised by like a single mother and I have two younger sisters. So financially, it just wasn't in the cards for me. I did get to do ski lessons when I was like probably 16 because I was in an indigenous youth program through it was like an after school program, which was really cool. So they taught us to ski in that. And then I remember high school in my gym class, we went on like a ski weekend and that was like the coolest thing ever. And then after high school, I didn't really do winter stuff which is crazy because calgary is such a winter intensive city it's so cold here and i feel like winter is our longest season so i honestly really really hated living here for a while and then yeah i decided i wanted to get more into mountain things because i live so close to the rocky mountains and i'm super lucky i got into climbing and that sort of spurred like my mountain sport passion and it was actually my ex-partner who taught me to ski and I'm really grateful for them for taking me out and being willing to show me the ropes because it's it's really hard to learn to ski as an adult you don't want to break anything you're way less bendy than when you're a kid and yeah I haven't really like done any resort stuff I I got straight into uh, backcountry skiing and touring it's really popular out here and also resorts are just like really really pricey and I, I, I just couldn't afford to get resort lift tickets I remember my first season out I literally bought kids skis because I'm only uh like I'm five foot three so I'm on the shorter side and the boys 
K2 boy skis were on sale at Swarcheck for like a hundred bucks. I'm like, yeah, okay, I can learn to ski if I can get these hundred dollar skis. So yeah, it's been a it's been a good journey. My sister, my younger sister, who's 22, so she's a couple years younger than me. She just uh, got into touring this year, and she took her AST1 last weekend. So I'm super excited to show her the ropes this season. And I have another younger sister who's 13, and she's picking up snowboarding. So I was like, good luck, kid. Can't help you there, but you'll have fun. <laughs> and it's uh, it's good. I'm I'm glad they're getting into it as well. That's awesome. Yeah, tell tell your little sister that skis are better tools as an adult who snowboards who will not learn to ski better like I'm really good on like a blue groomer I will crush a blue groomer on skis anything besides that forget about it and I'm just like wow skis are just better tools than snowboard I mean snowboards are fun certainly like when I started 25 years ago 30 years ago like they were way better than skis but huh, not anymore I don't think skis was for, for touring but yeah yeah, you could not pay me to split board, but good luck convincing her to think it's cool. She, she's like, you do it, so it's not as cool. I'm in a snowboard. Yeah, I mean, it is cool, but I don't know. I feel like anytime you want to go downhill on a split board when you're in, like, ski mode is the scariest thing in the whole world. Joelle's nodding her yeah, head. Yeah, like, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. All of you sort of got started in skiing and snowboarding later in, in life. What does it do for you now? Like, why are you, like, obviously you're very committed to snow sports because you applied for this scholarship and there were obviously things that you said in your application that led the committee to, to select you. So where are you at currently with your journey in snow sports or like, what are you trying to accomplish with your participation now? I'll jump in, man. I actually moved to Alaska for the winter everyone's like why did you move to Alaska you know it's because you fished growing up I was like well yeah so I could make money but uh but I <laughs> now I'm like I want to my sights when I started to learn to ski my sights were like I need to get to Alaska because they have mountains they have winter they have the ocean they have it all I'm going and so I so I actually set out just to live in a place that had more winter so I could just go out and specifically some place that had less resorts because like some other people mentioned you know resorts are more expensive the gear is more expensive and whatever but also I got into uh, mountain <laughs> mountain sports and search and rescue and so now for me skiing not only does it fill this like self-happiness thing like well I feel so free when I'm doing this but it also skiing here and in, in these remote beautiful wildernesses is an access point so it's not just you just go ski because you want to ski but you also want you go ski because you want to get to these amazing places and the only way you're going to do that is backcountry skiing is going up the mountain in order to get back down it um, you know you don't have a, a chairlift you don't have roads so for me it was also a I love nature and this is one of the most amazing seasons to experience it in and see see the wilderness and actually just be able to be in it so for me I was like yeah I, I gotta go I gotta go where the mountains are yeah, um, I'll go next. For myself, um, my parents raised my sister and I in community a lot. But the thing is, when I was a kid, I denied that community, just being Native and everything, because I grew up in a heavily LDS town. 
And so I was always the one kid. My family and I are not LDS, <laughs> but I was always the one going uh, with my LDS friends to church on Sundays, young women's on uh, Wednesdays and everything. And I denied like my native heritage for a little bit, <laughs> like after ceremony and everything, changing my clothes, my backpack, everything. So my classmates wouldn't smell it. So I wouldn't be picked out as a kid. You know, elementary kids are, ter are terrible <laughs> on picking on each other. And so, yeah, but growing up, it wasn't until I moved away for college where I like really embraced that. And my older sister, I thank her for like guiding me in the right direction and everything because she kept asking me like, okay, well, what about the native community? Are you going to apply to these schools that have a native community, everything? And I was like, why? I don't, like, I don't identify with it. And she's like, I know, but that's you. And then wasn't until I moved away in college and I'm like, oh, wow, I do really need this community to support me and everything. And so found that community when I moved away for college and everything. And then I transferred to different colleges at different times and everything. But I always try to create, create a native community there and just different communities in like what I was doing at the time and everything. So specifically for like snowboarding now, trying to create and foster a community that we're clearly are underrepresented in these like I don't know, for myself, like resorts and everything, I look around, it's majority white, cis male, cis women and everything. And it's a little intimidating for myself because I know I'm a good like snowboarder, but when I see them, like my headspace goes the opposite direction. I'm like doubting myself and everything. And so showing kids that they, native kids specifically, that this space is as equally theirs as it is everybody else's. That's so important, right? Like you can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, Taylor, and to add to that, because that was, it's, yeah, when you go to these resort places, it feels sometimes very excusatory, like you, because it doesn't explicitly say, hey, other people aren't allowed, but it makes this feeling of that. And so in some ways, that's actually why I went towards backcountry more, and I was more driven towards backcountry because I was like, well, this is the option that I'm allowed. Not that everyone ever, ever explicitly told me, hey, you can't go to a resort. But if I couldn't afford it and I had to drive really far and I didn't have a car, well then, and no one in my community could ever take me there or afford to take me there, then what else is left, <laughs> you know? So it was, it was like the opposite for me. It was like, oh, I'm going to go to the wilderness because there isn't anything in the resort for me. So it's interesting to hear like breaking through the resort <laughs> barriers is really a really amazing, neat thing to do. I would add to that because I do primarily backcountry ski. I like, I think in Calgary, at least, or the community we have here is still very, especially like white male dominated space is not very inclusive. Oh my goodness. Stay away from the Facebook groups. They're so toxic. <laughs> so yeah, I think for me, like getting into it at first, it was just something fun to do on the weekends, especially in a city where we have so much winter and it's really cold and brutal. And it's honestly pretty uh, sad to live here in the winter. I think if you don't like go outside and make sure you have fun activities to do. So for me, that's how it began. And I think I stuck with it just because I have built a little bit of a community, especially with other women where it's like, no, like we, we deserve to be here. We get to take up space, especially in backcountry skiing where like decision making and conversations is such a big element of it I know like when I ski with men I find like myself feeling smaller and diminished whereas when I ski with my female friends we've made a huge point of like everyone's voice gets heard and everyone gets to say something and even if it's wrong that's okay we're gonna hear it and we can like make those decisions together and I think that's honestly just kept me coming back again and again and again because it feels like a space where like we get to work towards empowering ourselves and also 
hopefully empowering other women that we bring into our circle as well. Yeah. And I want like my younger sisters to experience that as well. So I'm, I'm hoping like with things like this, that the culture is shifting a bit, but I think for me right now, it just kind of feels like I need to keep taking up space here and it still does bring me a lot of joy and happiness, but I'm like, I can't quit now. Like just keep showing up, keep taking up that space because like we deserve it and we, we are allowed to be here. There's a lot of nodding happening right now. Like everyone's <laughs> nodding, nodding. Yeah, no, I agree with that because I actually went snowboarding. Uh, I rang in this season going with my other native female friend and it felt so good. And just, I mean, we were doing resort stuff where we were like just talking and chatting and everything. And we went to high school together. Both of us learned to snowboard in our mid-20s and everything. But at the end of the day, we're like, that was probably one of my like top three snowboarding days. <laughs> it was so empowering to go with another Native woman. We're like, yeah, we need to do this more often. So it is very empowering to go with another person that identifies as similar to you. Yeah, I'm uh, very grateful for the opportunity that I had to get out in the backcountry with the group of IWOs, the Indigenous Women Outdoors. I didn't really feel like I was able to take up kind of space in that that field of snowboarding. I remember when I was younger, I was at my coach. I was like, oh, that's so sick. Like, that's a slipboard. I really want one. He was like, why do you want that? You're never going to use that. And I was like, oh, well, you know, now I really want to use it. <laughs> and just to have like that group of women who support you and like, yeah, you can do it. Or like, you don't feel comfortable. We don't have to do it. And just making that safe space for everybody is really important. And you guys talking about community. I'm like, yeah, it's totally all about community and finding the right one. Yeah, it's certainly a different vibe to go out with all women than it is in a space where there's cis men. I think it's a better vibe for me personally. <laughs> I enjoy it a lot more. I think it's nice when like you can make jokes about stuff or, you know, make light of things that you go through as women and they just like get it and they know and you don't have to sit there and explain. I would definitely like to be with more indigenous women. That is one like piece I'm missing is it is still like mostly white women. Yeah, so we're definitely not seeing at least out here the diversity and the access issues are still definitely there. What What do you think would have to change, Seske, for that to happen? Like, you know, there's there's only so much you as an individual can do in terms of like finding people in your community, right? So sort of like at this this bigger level, like what do you think needs to happen so that you're someone who, you know, when you go to the resort, you go to backcountry, you're seeing people who you identify with? I think like starting, like targeting younger kids like kind of like Joel you were saying you got started as a youth and you got to like have that experience growing up I think a lot of indigenous youth in Calgary would really benefit from that like having an outlet I think the issue is like being in a city we are kind of far from the mountains so even just like parents having time to drive their kids out is a huge thing so I'd like to see more organizations pop up that focus on getting indigenous youth in, into the outdoors I still think cost is like a huge barrier, like parents just can't afford or even like adults these days can't afford to get into it, especially touring, man, the beacon alone is, is a lot of money to be spending. And I think another component is the education. I know with the climbing community, when I first got into it, I didn't feel like I was going to be judged harshly for not knowing the answer. I think with the climbing world, at least in my experience, there's been a lot more focus on mentorship and like the expectation that you come in not knowing and people around you will build you up and teach you. I have not had that experience at all with skiing. It's been very like, oh, you don't know. So I guess you're just dumb or like, like, why don't you know that already? You should know that. It's like, well, I, I don't. And that's why I'm trying to ask these questions. So I would like to see like a, a shift in people's attitudes towards mentoring people because 
especially with touring, it becomes a safety issue. It's like if people don't know how to do it safely and they don't understand, then yeah, that is really dangerous. So yeah, I'd be curious to see if there was like guiding companies in our area or just older people that know what they're doing who would be more willing to mentor young people who have no clue what they're doing. I think to to add to that, like this scholarship is the first time I've ever had new gear. I have never once had new gear. Um, And it was like, whoa, it's actually a really amazing feeling to think, whoa, those are skis for me. They're not someone is done with them, so I guess I'll use them, which is still great. And I'm not hating on that, like use gear, upcycle, wonderful. But to actually have gear that you can feel like, whoa, this is my own, is such an empowering feeling. And and I think that I was looking at True Gear, who was gave us um, uh, gift cards, and they had I didn't know until the woman actually messaged me she said hey also we have this used or returned gear site that's part of our gear and I was like whoa even some of that gear is actually news it was just returned and so I think it'd be really neat to Mm -hmm. see more companies get into this having new like return gear that's not necessarily used so you don't necessarily feel like oh I'm just buying used gear at a secondhand store but actually on their website having return gear or last year's stuff for a reasonable like significantly less and just for an access reasoning and I've seen it start to pop up in certain outdoor companies and I think it would be really nice to see more companies do that because they get returns they have issues with their gear and so knowing what it feels like to get gear that's not just I walked into a secondhand store <laughs> but actually like specialty would be really nice to see. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, so at Coalition, we just launched our second tracks program this year, which is a ski and snowboard buyback program. So we buy back used skis and snowboards, and then we sell those on the website. And I think we're the first ski and snowboard company to do that for hard goods. And it's kind of because the industry, the industry exists on people wanting to buy new things every single year, right? And there's definitely this, like this whole vibe in the industry around, like the exclusivity is part of what grew snow sports. Like it is all about having the new gear, being cool, fitting in, like that's that's kind of what the industry was built on. And so you would never, um, you know, there's always ski swaps and things like that, but like brands wouldn't necessarily do that or even, retailers wouldn't offer it up because they would perceive it as devaluing their brand. And for us, we will, we're going to sell other people's skis and boards. And for us, we're like, we don't give a fuck. Like let's get more people sliding on snow. Sliding on snow is fun. Let's get as many people as possible out there. I don't have to have, I mean, do I want everyone on coalition? Absolutely. Certainly I do. Would I just be happy if more people got out? Yes. But there is sort of this like culture in snow sports that you have to chip away at to get these companies to think that it's valuable. And really what's pushing it is people like you and, you know, people who ski and snowboard, who are saying like, we want, we want to be able to participate in an upcycled program. We want to support less consumption and moving toward less waste. And so the consumer is definitely pushing that a lot. And I think you'll see a lot more snow sports brands starting to get into it, which 
I think it's just, just gets more people out, which is good. And maybe, maybe that if more people have access to the actual equipment, like Taylor was saying, she got all the gear, but not the actual snowboard, which makes it hard to snowboard uh, without that part. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. once, once the actual boards and the skis and those kinds of things become more accessible and more popular in a not brand new fashion, um, you get more of the different communities participating, not just upper middle class, cis, white, you know, insert skiing stereotype there. Um, and then hopefully that means like, oh, wow, I see more, you know, indigenous ladies in the backcountry class or, you know, whatever. Yeah, we've got um, with our indigenous life sport academy crew we've got a bunch of kids who need gear and I've kind of just been pulling stuff from my old sets of like boots or helmets or whatever and trying to find boards that's like kind of affordable for beginners and kids who are going to grow out of it really quickly is like really difficult for us at least to find and source like gear for them and because it is expensive and we want to get them up there so we've been trying to find that stuff but we've ended up kind of looking in some thrift stores for boards and the kids don't care which I'm you know super stoked about that they just want to get up there and learn yeah so I think kind of like upcycling is definitely a huge important thing that uh, needs to happen and I'm stoked that coalition's doing it with the hard goods it's awesome thanks yeah and just even like you know like not only just making it available but also destigmatizing having used gear right like there's such that's such a thing of, again, like in the industry, like having the latest and, and the greatest and and in terms of feeling like you fit into ski culture, you know, I would, I mean, I, I remember when I first started, I learned on a friend's like 162 Sims snowboard, 162. <laughs> that was the dumbest thing of it, but that's what was available to me, right? And that was, that was one thing that we wanted to talk about today was like not only some of these access issues, you know, which is like specifically, we can talk about the high price of gear, the high price of lift tickets, needing to have transportation, but there's also sort of the cultural side of it, right? Like the access to the ski community. And I'm wondering if you'd all like to kind of speak, you already have sort of spoken to it, but speak to it a little bit more around the culture of snow sports, the culture of the the community and how that either includes or excludes you. I think it actually wasn't until I moved to Alaska that I actually ever felt included in snow sports. I had tried a lot in Washington to kind of find friends that were even interested in that or who knew how or make friends on the mountain. And their lifestyles were just so different or their backgrounds were just so different. It was like conversations just didn't flow like they do, you know, or were like they can and so it just melt, meant it really stilted and I just never felt like I got to really belong. And so it was really amazing when the first time I went up to Alaska, because there is a large indigenous community here and there is a lot of snow access here just in the back country, like you ski from your house, that I suddenly go, oh, wow, you know, the AMB, you know, Alaska Native Brotherhood and Sisterhood, they're like, oh, we're having skiing this weekend. Anyone is welcome to join. And it's like, oh, it's just in your community. I'm like, wow, this should be everywhere where you suddenly feel, you know, accepted because 
people I think go, oh, well, if you just get here, you'll be accepted. And no, there is a, like a, you have to get along with people. <laughs> you know, you have, there's like common ground that needs to be had. There's feeling like, eh, well, everyone has had this experience. Everyone's known how to ski. All their parents drive them and they all have this nice gear. And there's like this self-consciousness that really holds, holds you back until you find a community even if you do manage to get to this to the slopes and i think i really realized that once i came up to alaska and there were things here that were just like oh anyone can join us and this is an indigenous group and i was like whoa that exists even why can't everybody have that you know well sounds like i need to head up to alaska <laughs> anytime <laughs> yeah no i'm definitely having a hard time here in denver i would say creating that community it's so hard i mean I-70 traffic, don't even get me started on that. That's a whole nother like, issue. But I think there's so many groups. And again, it goes back to like the mentoring and like that welcoming space to learn and to make mistakes. I mean, I feel like people these days forget that we're, we're human and we're allowed to make mistakes. We, we aren't perfect. And I struggle with that in my professional life too. <laughs> but it's so hard. And I try to, uh, I think just now being in the sport and everything, I try to tell my nieces and nephews in that or remind them of that, that we are human and everything. And we, there's so much out in the world to learn and everything, but granted now, like my niece and nephews are getting opportunities to go snowboarding and everything back home where we are in New Mexico. Like my nephew goes to go snowboarding tomorrow for the first time. And he like, his mom texted me and she was like, what gear does he need? And I'm like, I think I have a spare goggles in my room upstairs in my parents' house. Like it's in one of the bins, like just have them look around. I think there's pants in there if he might fit them. Like little teenage boy that's like already towering <laughs> over me. I'm like, I don't know if he's going to fit them, but there's gloves, everything, just go look in there. <laughs> and even like my parents have gotten into like snowshoeing and everything um, as empty nesters now. So like the access back home, it's... They're just overall more access. I mean, there's like another preparatory school that nearby that I know they take a group of kids snowboarding and everything. But I mean, back up here in Denver, there are different organizations, but it's always on the weekends, which I feel like in the Denver area is so hard for these kids to learn because, you know, everyone on the weekend, again, I-70, everyone's trying to make it up to the mountains and you're waiting in like three hours traffic and it's so busy and everything. But then again, yeah, we have jobs on the side too so <laughs> it's just trying to find that like nice spot like sweet spot to get to everybody on the mountain I feel like kind of breaking into that ski community for me has kind of been hard even though I've got my team uh, I remember we were up at one of the local mountains and these young group of boys come up and they're like chugs and I was like oh whoa like first how did you even notice because I'm very white passing I was like that's kind of that's really interesting but also like very racist and not okay and um so that kind of was always like in the back of my head and then I went I was at a competition and this group from the states came up and they were the national team and they were playing some music while they're prepping their boards and they started playing a tribe called red and they kind of threw a backpack down and started dancing around it kind of like you know very stereotypical what you see in the movies kind of like indigenous dancing and I was like wow this is wild so I feel very grateful for my community of in, like indigenous youth and indigenous like women that I feel safe enough in that environment to continue on and to kind of 
be a leader for those young kids and for help to help them like have a safe space to learn and just be in. It's been interesting and wild. Mm-hmm. And that's not that long ago either, right? Like it's just so everyone, it's not like Joelle is like, you know, 60 years old talking about back in the day. Like this is recent, like what, like yeah. within the last five years? Uh, no, probably like in the last 10 years. In the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's hard because it's like you can only do so much as one person. It's like, yes, I I want to like work on taking up space and being a good role model and making sure that like I model what I want to see in the community. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, we are just individuals and it does come down to like the fact that it is a community dominated by white men who really do need to step up and they do need to be the ones having these conversations and they need to be listening and they need to be learning amplifying voices and like all just this long laundry list of things that like is just not happening and so it can be really disheartening sometimes and hard I'm hoping like the next generation younger folks it'll be different for them but yeah there's sometimes where you like I feel like it's kind of a write-off at this point for me there's I don't know how much of it's going to get better which is disheartening to like have those thoughts but why do you think it is that, you know, the, it is the year of 2023 and we're still talking about white men and white women also, you know, amplifying voices and listening and learning? Like, why do you think it's so difficult for people to understand these concepts? Honestly, wish I had an answer for you. I don't think it should be super difficult, but it clearly, clearly it is. And people aren't, aren't getting it. Yeah, I honestly don't know. I feel like it's just a lack of wanting it to. And also just a lack of having to live with that as your everyday identity. Like if that's not how you live, and it's not what you have to think about, then, and if you are in a position of privilege, where you don't have to think about those things, why why would you? Yeah, I, yeah, agree I totally that. agree. I feel I like mean, I guess maybe this is me wanting to be like glass half full. Like I will be an optimist. I will. Um, and maybe maybe it's just like, oh, it's just because if those are not the shoes that you live in every day and it's, it's sometimes not obvious to other people. Like I didn't realize that, wow, I could ski with indigenous people and we could have real conversations and it'd be fun and I would feel accepted. I never realized that, you know? And so I'm now had an opportunity where I could feel a little bit of that, but if you don't re you know, if you every day are just accepted by the community and you're just out skiing and having fun, then that's not, it's like, oh, I just, you don't see it because you're on the wrong, you're on a different side. And so I'd like to, in the glass half full view, think, oh, it's not purposeful ignorance. <laughs> it's just because you're just living your life and you're not opening your eyes. You're a nicer person than I am, Stephanie. I was going to say that. You're a much nicer person than I am. <laughs> yeah. I think they don't, they, it's just lack of accountability. Like they, that and they just <laughs> that's so hard to answer I wish we could give you wish we had more time to talk about it but I mean personally with myself like what I'm going through now like I've had friends that are talking about in their professional lives talking about their DEI initiatives in their companies and from there seeing like a white male company they're like oh yeah we're we have a DEI initiative we're like okay how are you implementing it they're like is the person brown or white their skin color and I'm like, wow, you're missing the whole point of diversity if you're still judging it by skin color. Like, There's diversity beyond that. And so it's just we're living in these past times. I feel like we get to one point of saying like, yeah, we're going to implement DEI. But when they find out it's more than that, they're like, OK, no, we actually don't want to implement that. 
let's take a step back again and go back to what we were doing, but say, yeah, we are doing it in certain like aspects to what's going to benefit them. It's always them um, just being selfish in general. So, and I think it's hard too, because for us, we live in like two different worlds and our core, like specifically for myself, a native like brown woman, like my values do not align with the white men's world. And it's hard to explain that to other people and people try, like there's no empathy in that trying to understand. It's like lack of empathy overall. So like I said, uh, accountability, empathy, God, the list could go on, but they're, I want to say like, yeah, they're never going to understand unless they are in our shoes, like Stephanie was saying, like you will never understand this world that we're living in. Yeah, I uh, totally agree. I feel like there's a lack of accountability and understanding for sure, especially kind of, you know, when they're out, when people are out in sacred spaces, you know, like mountains that, I don't know, my community holds really like dear to us. There's this, they have, I feel like non-Indigenous folk have this sense of like freedom, as you guys were saying earlier, like, I don't know, kind of like a release for everybody. And they kind of forget, I feel like, that they're in this sacred space and to treat it with respect and to kind of like understand that it's not just for them to go out and enjoy, but also kind of be aware of just Indigenous people taking up that space is important because it's, you know, their land and they're where they need to go to uh, kind of pay respect to their ancestors or just to the land itself. Yeah. And I agree with that or adding to that, Joelle, I think it's, we're taught as Native people to um, think, not only like acknowledge our ancestors, yes, like that's one of our values, but like also thinking past, present, and future. So future being seven generations ahead, we're always taught to acknowledge that, like, how is, how are these decisions today going to affect seven generations from now? And so we're trying to think of that, um, whereas like, relating that to the government system. Like our terms are, our presidential terms are only four years. How is a president supposed to implement their whole government within four years when by by the time they're elected, people are like trying to think of their, who's going to be running the next in two years. And so the turnaround super quick. So everything that's they're trying to implement pretty much just goes out the window at that point. And so you need the longevity <laughs> of the seven years to like really start to implement and see change and everything. Joelle, I was going to ask you, you know, and this is something that everyone can certainly answer. What does respecting the land look like to you? Like, I'm sure that all of you have some specific examples of what that looks like, but to a lot of people, they would say like, oh, well, that's very subjective. What does respecting the land, what does that mean to you? What are, what are people doing? What are they saying? How does that respect actually manifest itself in on the land? Yeah, so my teachings with kind of the land and being on it is you're not taking, but you're also like, geez, um, I am not very good at explaining things. I'm just going to say that flat out. I'm terrible at it. I'd be a bad teacher. I don't know how my kids learn how to snowboard. It's amazing. Um But there's, like, you're not going out there selfishly. You're not going out there with the mindset of, like, I want to do this and I'm going to go out and do it. It's kind of like this relationship you have where you're going out there being like, I'm going to respect the land. I'm going to kind of give back and honor its spirit. 
X. I don't, it's, I really don't know how to explain it properly, but kind of, you know, when you go first get out there, I always like offer something. If it's, if I only have water, you know, I'm offering water as a thank you for, you know, hosting me and whoever is with me and just kind of saying thank you. And, you know, I, uh, yeah, I'm terrible at explaining things. I don't know if that makes sense. You are not terrible. Sense. <laughs> you are not terrible. You're doing just fine. Thanks. I think I want to I want to jump in if I can, and say like, and I grew up in the, in on both the land I'm in now and the tribe in which I grew up are both water based, so they're both coastal, and so I think it it provides a very different look at what land means, because the most the majority of your life and your sustenance and your existence is water-based. So, and, and from that standpoint, I always learned, and, and to this day, like, it's, you don't, even as indigenous people, you don't own that land. That land is not yours. That land is its own. And when you go out there, you're you're on it but it's also that water that snow is the lake it's the river and that land you're on is also the wolverines it's also the wolf packs it's not just oh i'm on it and it's it's my tribe's land we always learn it's 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 always uh, now i'm really bad at explaining it's always um, <laughs> like it's infinite it's not just oh this is this land now right it is always changing constantly and it's not yours you are just a part of it so when you go out on the slopes or you go out and you're enjoying the back country you have to remember you're enjoying this wilderness you're not owning that wilderness so when it's not yours something else's its own entity you don't just go into someone else's house and just trash it or just be like oh it's mine now you know <laughs> the 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 back country or the, the wilderness is its and the land is its own. So you, inherently, when you are on it, you are owing a, a major amount of respect and your life to that. Yeah, I think with back country skiing too, there's like I've seen lots of comments about like oh like secret stashes or secret powder spots or like oh I'm not going to share my like favorite places with the newbies. I don't want them to get super busy. And it gets it's really frustrating to hear those comments because like. We're recreating on stolen land. This is not your land. Can you please at least acknowledge that, like, you don't own that powder spot? And yeah, I just think it, it's hard to hear those comments from people, and then also be like, no wonder new people don't want to ski if, like, that's how it's gonna be. I think like relationship with land, it has to be reciprocal. It has to be long term. And I think there is like a lot of space in the outdoor world for that to be the case. Like, you know, especially with like outdoor, like backpacking and camping, like leave no trace is already like such a huge movement and. Like there is a lot of space to have those conversations and the outdoor world is such a great area to implement these like changes. I don't really know where I was going with that, but I had to make that comment. <laughs> it's true. The gatekeeping is, is for real. It's very real. So I'm curious, sort of last, last question for, for us tonight. Um, when you think about the future of snow sports and you, you think about, you know, Taylor, you had just mentioned that you're thinking seven generations ahead, right? If you could all cultivate the world that you want to exist seven generations ahead, what does it look like in not just snow sports, but the outdoors? Do, do you have a vision for what you'd like to see? I guess I'll go ahead and take a stab at it. A stab at it. 
Oh my goodness. I think for myself, just since I am on the resort side and going through the whole thing of having the debate of icon or epic passes, which one are you, but more so seeing how, especially with like where I am in my professional life, we kind of deal with Vail resorts and everything. It would be amazing to see if one of those resorts were given to a local tribe and for them to run it, operate it. That would be a dream of mine. That'd be very nice. And still like, yeah, still stay on the ep- icon, epic icon pass, whatever you want to do, whatever, whichever resort wants to hop on this idea um, and slowly see where that goes. I mean, you see some resorts doing land acknowledgements, but what is that doing? Like it's a small sign on there, wherever they want to put it, but give a resort to a tribe and see where they can go. Like you see these tribes operating casinos, like hard rock casinos in Vegas and doing like making money off of that and giving it back to their people, offering like discounts for natives room discounts for natives and everything and so that like going back to the whole land acknowledgement thing that has to you have to like give a discount rate to someone or something or those peoples to like truly acknowledge them or like have a camp for a week or whatever and do that like you really just need to give it back like fully give it back to those people and I think just going off of that like seeing more schools and organizations pop up and seeing bigger brands partner with them That'd be nice. (laughs) Yeah, I think I kind of would like the same thing, you know, just partnering with each other or, you know, kind of giving, I feel like Indigenous communities operate so differently from non-Indigenous and it would be awesome to see a resort owned by an Indigenous community. I feel like there would be a lot of, you know, a lot of giving, a lot of support. I think that'd be sweet. That'd, That'd be the dream, honestly. I'd like to see more scholarships and initiatives like this one modeled by other companies. I'd like to see them step up rather than just like talking the talk, actually walk the walk. But I think like long-term, ideally, I would want to see like an outdoor world where like these things aren't even necessary anymore. And like access is not a huge issue and inclusion is just a given. Yeah, that would be like the dream come true. But until then, I, I think there's tons of spaces where people could step up and keep doing really cool things like this and offering these opportunities to people. Yeah, I think for me, it's there's like two aspects I'd love to see. I mean, besides the like mic drop, I just want to see inclusivity and not be even have to be a thing. I was like, whoa, how amazing. <laughs> what a world. I can't wait. Um, I'm, I'm going with optimism on that one. And um, but I think for me right now where I stand today is it's really twofold and I really you know got brought up earlier when we were talking like you know there's other communities like a climbing community for example that's really uh, leadership oriented like oh you know we'll teach you no one's you you don't start by running and it's totally accepted and it it's like we want to foster the newbies in the next generation and it's a really open feeling when you go to learn. And so seeing that more accepted in this community that you don't, and the snowboard community, that you don't have to just be an expert. And sometimes I think that starts with the big companies that show, that show like, oh, here's what skiing looks like. All you see is extreme skiing. All you see is the people who are already amazing pros that are sponsored by these ginormous companies like Red Bull. And you're like, wow, I could never even start there. How do I, you know, whereas in climbing, 
you see, I, or at least I see more even in advertisements where it's not the best and most amazing climber on the face of the planet. It's just somebody climbing and you're like, oh, I could do that maybe. And so I think those two maybe blend together. I would love to see brands embrace, not just You know, I, and I think it would be nice to see, you know, the 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 attitude around learning to ski and snowboard be more of fostering and less of competition. Um, I think that would be really cool. And taking a, a note from climbing or mountaineering or backpacking communities and saying, we want to to start teaching people instead of just producing major sponsors. <laughs> um, and producing competitions. So I think that would be really neat in the community. Uh, and then the other one would be, it was just also brought up earlier, uh, would be more you know, non-binary and women focused groups that in, in skiing and snowboarding. And I had last year for the first time actually went out with a, a female non-binary group for the first time. I've never actually been skiing in my whole life in the backcountry where it was just non-binary and females. It wasn't male leadership. It was the first, I am in my 30s, and it was just this past year that I experienced a non-male leader in the outdoors. And it was the coolest thing. And I think pushing, like the community pushing more for that, for companies or you know outdoor schools or even ski schools to more focus on skiing lessons for women or you know whatever that is and I would love to see that in the future and really be focused on in the next seven seven years because I think that if you kind of focus on those two aspects a lot of other things might get to fall into place so I mean also it was really neat when I was skiing with women uh and there was a older indigenous woman with us and she's like I have something that is a secret weapon. And we were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's really out of the blue. She's like, well, I have to go to the bathroom, right? But ski gear is not normally made for squatting to go to the bathroom. But I have something called the great equalizer is what she called it. And it was like a stick that you, or like a tube that you put in your pants and it makes it totally into peeing standing up. And she was like, see how great this is? It's the great equalizer. I can just pee standing up anywhere. And, you know, like, so when you're not surrounded by people you feel comfortable with, you can just like whip it out like the dudes do. <laughs> and I was like, it's was, little things, isn't it? It's it was a little, little I was like, wow, this is a great conversation. I could not be having this conversation in a different group. <laughs> and it was really funny <laughs> to be like, yeah, wow, for all the people who have to squat and pee, this is a wonderful conversation. <laughs> and groups that, our diverse breed those conversations and find solutions to unique problems that aren't the average problem or whatever. So it just made it just made me think of that and go like, yeah, wow, how is it only in 2022 that I'm experiencing a non-male leader in outdoors? So everybody wants to know. Everybody <laughs> wants to know. And I think lastly, just adding to it. Um, seeing more indigenous people included in brands represented in big brands um i mean the only person i could think of is like spencer o'brien who has like how many x games <laughs> belt um that's probably the only person i can really think of and just like 
including them, giving them the, giving Indigenous people those sponsorships because we're totally capable of it. And even if it is just a little hobby we do on the weekends or whatever days we have off, like we want to enjoy it just as much as everybody else and we can. And I think Coalition Sun does a really cool thing that I noticed about this scholarship, which was amazing, is they don't just give the scholarship to the best ultimate snowboarder or skier. It's not like you're already top of your game, so we're going to sponsor you. Now that you've already gotten there and you've already had these resources, we're going to give you more. They're like, oh, what about other people who still, you know, so it's not just big name, you know, it would be nice to see like Taylor was saying, these big companies sponsor more indigenous people, but also sponsor people who are not just the next Olympians. So that even if you are indigenous or you're Hispanic or you're not from a community that is highly represented, you could still say, hey, but that person is not X games level. I don't have to be X games level to ski. So that, that and that incorporating that in there too, I think would be really, really inspiring and help maybe bridge a gap with you know, a lot of us learning to ski later in life. Well, and that, that requires this, like one of the big cultural shifts in snow sports, which you all have just spoken to, which is we don't need to see experts jumping out of helicopters. You know, we don't need to see this like full send, hucking yourself off of cliffs, helicopters. Like some people do that. Some people enjoy watching that. Also, other people have a different approach to being um, in the snow, to being outdoors, and, and they want to see that represented. Um, and so that sort of like cultural shift of like what what are the images and what are the, you know, these videos and what what are the words and what is it that we're using to describe this experience as because we all know who who created those. Like we all know who's responsible for um, that backbone in, in snow sports. And it is, you know, by design exclusionary. So you have to undo that and you can't undo that by doing the same thing. Yeah, completely agree. I know when I tell my parents I'm snowboarding, that's the first thought that comes into their head. It's like, are you doing the extreme stuff? Or even my nephews, I'm like showing them videos. They're like, or I've come back from the resort and show them videos. They're like, we want to see. And I'm like, average joe over here i'm like okay yeah i can do this <laughs> and they like make me feel like i'm on top of the world and i'm like yeah i can do this like standing a little taller after that talking to them um it's just showing them those little things because i mean for myself like kids are sponges these days they absorb anything and everything <laughs> so if they see just one person they know that's a space where they can go to and that might be the place to start right you can't be what you can't see that might be it well, I think we are about out of time here. I want to thank Taylor and Joelle and Stephanie and Saskia for joining us, joining us today on Juicy Bits. I'm going to put the link to the Indigenous Backcountry Scholarship in the show notes. We have more information on all of these incredible human beings. And also, you know, you're welcome to support the scholarship. How do you take a land acknowledgement to the next level? You put some fucking money behind it. You could do that, listeners. Also, there's might be some cute Skeeta stuff you can pick up too that on the land partnered with them. So that's all on the website. And yeah, what just thank you so much to the four of you for conversations that I think we need to have over and over and over again until we get to the point where we are seeing that future and that vision that all of you want. So thank you so much for being here. Congratulations. 
um, being recipients of this year's scholarship and um, looking forward to see what all of you do and how you change the industry. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Thank you.